Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit WERFCC.com. Peter has now been taking us through this walk and this last letter, his swan song. He takes us through this moment to tell us that Jesus is the main thing and how we keep him the main thing. He then informs us on how to stay alert and to watch out for false teachers. He gives us examples of folks who found judgment like angels, ancient world, two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. But then he finds that some people that are actually saved, they rebound. People like Lot and his daughters, Noah and his family. But today, Peter is going to help you and I to look. And he's going to help us to look upward, waiting again for what Jesus is going to do, and that is his coming again. Oh, sure, there are people, and this is really sad to say, they quit looking. They quit looking. They don't believe he's coming back. They don't believe anything that what he said is true, or he would have already come. They put their problems in front of whatever it is he's decided to do and said, if if he really cared, he would have come, and he hasn't. And there are people that have quit looking. And so today, we're going to take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, Uh, finally get through three (laughs) simple chapters. Boy, they're not simple, have they? They're loaded with all kinds of stuff. And we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and when we do, we're going to see that we need to look because Jesus is coming again. We're going to find it in verses 1 through 13 of 2 Peter chapter 3. So let's read that together if you don't mind looking at that together with me. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I would write in addendum to that, this is the last letter I'm going to send to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First off, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget That long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
That day will bring about the destruction of heaven by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward, looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Well, we're going to look at some things today, and there's three things I want to point out to you that we need to look for from this text today. And the first one is this one. In the first two verses, we need to look back at Scripture. The first two verses, Peter's letting us know that we need to pay attention to the words that were given to us from the past, from the holy prophets, and then he identifies himself and others, and also through your apostles, through what they wrote down. So we have the Old Testament, New Testament. Look back at Scripture. Why? Scripture has a way to always help you to look back to see forward. And I appreciate that about Scripture. It's this history book in time that we can go back and look at and go, wow, that happened in the past. But in that same time, it's telling us about what we can look forward to. And so it's this way of looking back, but looking forward as well. And the Scriptures are known to communicate what lies ahead for all of us. And there's always a way to look back at what's ahead and say, I'm kind of glad I'm past that part of life right now. Let me give you an example. Uh, those of you who have ever had to travel to Florida before in the room, I'd like to drive it. Anybody driven to Florida before besides me? Okay. Unfortunately, I could say this to you. Because I have family in Florida, I've had to drive to Florida a lot. Now you say, well, that's a blessing, Brian. No, I'm not going down to see the beach and the waves and have a book on the, on the beach on my little takeout place I have by the, by the boardwalk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to see family. This would be like going to California to see family or going to Grand Canyon to see You're not going to see that. You're going to go see them. And so everybody's like, go in the Grand Canyon, that's cool. And I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go see family. And so the reality is when I drive to Florida, when you drive to Florida, there's this thing that we all have to prepare for. And it's this huge state that nobody ever wants to go through and go into Florida. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, my, yeah. And we're not even talking SEC football or anything, right? Like, Georgia. I just say Georgia. I'm like, oh, Georgia. Why? Because we live in southwest Ohio. We can easily go through Kentucky, make a, a quick trip through Tennessee, kind of blink through that one, and then we get to Georgia. And everybody is preparing to get to Georgia. Please don't think I'm talking bad about Georgia. It's a huge state. And when you're on your way to Florida, you have to go through it. Now, bigger than Georgia, seemingly, is you got to go through Atlanta. And that changes the whole game plan on how you plan, on how you prepare the trip. Because you have to figure out the exact moment that you think it's not going to be cluttered, it's not going to be under construction, and what you're going to do in case it is. And so you make the plan well in advance of going through Atlanta. And so you have that plan. You, heaven forbid you go through there at lunchtime, or you go there at 5 o'clock, and we can't go through then. Why did we always drive our kids in the middle of the night to Florida? Because we didn't want them to have to see how we were going through Georgia, Right? I just wake up like, hey, Grandma and Grandpa are here. That's right. You missed Georgia. That was quite a, we're still shaking from that moment. You know, Georgia's tough, isn't it? And we plan that way. Now, here's the thing. In our walk and our journey with Christ, we have a Georgia we have to go through. And some of us are in the Georgia right now. Some of you are in Atlanta in downtown traffic with everybody, everybody's sporting event canceling at the same time. And you are parked, and you're not moving, and you're not going anywhere. And you're trying to take another route, and everybody's yelling, look it up on GPS, figure out another way we can go. But man, when Georgia's in your past, whether you're going south, you're coming north, it's like home free. We are there. Even when you get to the border, and you get a sunshine drink of orange juice, you go, we've made it to Florida. 
There's a celebration moment that you survived Georgia. That is how we are living out this last moment in our life. We're living this moment like, I just can't wait to get done with Georgia. That's how we all are walking through this journey right now. Some of you are in the middle of Atlanta right now and you want to get out. There's this last day that that Peter's talking about. The last day is also known as the day of the Lord. And Peter is defining it as this moment after the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus raises from the dead, as we've been singing about, everlasting God. He's raised from the dead. And from that moment, we are in this last day moment. Now, don't get me wrong. We have scripture text after scripture text that tells us about what the last day looks like. And some of us get hung up on one, two verses at best, and we're like stuck there. We won't get up. There's a lot of verses talking about the last day. And the last day identifies the span of time when God personally intervenes in history and he directly or indirectly to accomplish a specific aspect of his plan. Let me point it out to you this way. We're on this journey and we're walking on this journey toward heaven. Let be the stage going toward heaven, okay? So heaven is the stage. Off the stage is heaven. So we're on this journey and we're making our way toward toward heaven, and Jesus intersects, he comes in at the right time, at the right moment, dies as is ascended, and when he does, all of us in history take a turn along the side of the stage. Don't work. I didn't walk off into heaven. I should have, shouldn't I? But right here is this edge, and here's the last days right along the stage, because there's this moment between death and life, between his coming and his not coming, that we're all anticipating, like, we get to go now. We get to go now. Is it this time? We get to go now. We're living in anticipation of when we get to step into that world. It is the day of the Lord. 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are hundreds of verses that point out this soon coming Christ. Three times in the book of Revelation, it says, I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. He's letting us know. He's on his way. And and Peter is pointing it out in these two verses. He wants us to know how important the future is that we look back at Scripture, especially to the prophets and what they say. What do the prophets say? Not really a lot of good things about the, the, the the last day or the day of the Lord. I'm just going to give you three examples of a lot of them. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction for the Almighty. Not exactly positive note in regard to walking this parallel line. We better watch out. Wail for it. Jeremiah chapter 46, 10 says, But the day belongs to the Lord, the Lord Almighty, a day of vengeance for the vengeance on His foes. The sword will devour till it's satisfied, till it has quenched its thirst for blood. For the Lord, the Almighty, will offer sacrifice in the land of the north by the river Euphrates. Again, not a positive. Hey, can't wait till you come back. Amos chapter 5, verse 18 says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? The day will be darkness, not light. He's prophesying change. But here's the thing. These warnings come not only in Scripture, but they've come to you personally. You've heard this before. And I'm not talking about some fire and brimstone sort of sermon that comes in your life or some camp week where you say, like, look, you want to give it up here right now? It's a junior high. Your life could be over tomorrow. Scaring us into that moment. I don't want to fire and brimstone you here, but there are clear warnings. But you've been given personally some times in your life when God's been trying to get your attention and he's trying to speak truth into your life, whether it be through other people or through the word of God. A set of circumstances are coming into your life like a train wreck has happened It happened in your family, maybe through sickness or some sort of financial burden. And God is trying to say, listen, take stock of your life. You need to be prepared because the moment is coming when Jesus will return. And in that moment, nothing else will matter. Your schedule will not be important anymore. We don't care what you have to get done this week. He's back. 
And are you ready? The Bible tells us when Jesus returns, for those who put their trust in Christ Jesus and receive this grace and his forgiveness in their lives, it is a day of celebration. This line is not, woe to you, you know, wail over here. No, he's back. And we're celebrating it, right? And for some of you, the return of Christ as Christian is a promise to celebrate. A day we anticipate with great joy and with great hope where Jesus will return and said, I've had enough. Enough death, enough sickness, enough war, enough pain, enough suffering, enough. It's time I'm going to get them. And I'm going to make all things new. And so as we've sung and we'll sing again as we close this service today, we're going to wait for that. It's a promise that we hold on to. We eagerly anticipate it. So look back at Scripture. Then we have the second looking that we have. The second is this one, look around at scoffers. Verses 3 through 7 kind of remind us of this picture of these scoffers. In, in, in Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, first of all, he says, you must understand that in the last days. And he says this kind of paraphrase, in those days, here's what's going to happen. Scoffers are going to come. And scoffers are going to follow their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is it and when? Where is it coming This thing that he promised ever since the forefathers died. Everything's going on as it was since the beginning of creation. He's never coming back. Peter's addressing the spirit that will take place in the final days. And scoffers, quite frankly, are in error. In fact, there are scoffers in the last days who will say, look, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, then he's not really going to come back at all. And if he's going to come back, he would, have never, he would have come back by now. He hasn't come back, so why are we following him? Why are we paying attention to him? Why are we listening to his rules? Our, our, our friends, the atheists, walk through this journey on a regular basis. They get to the spot where they go, he hasn't come back. All of the stuff that he's promised, he's not done yet. He is slow to keep his promises. That's what this text tells us. But scoffers are choosing they're choosing to follow, what it, to follow their own choosing. Peter has focused on these who scoffed at Christ's second coming. Commentators believe that Peter wrote this little short, this short letter shortly before his death by crucifixion upside down, by the way, in about 67 or 68 AD. So if you look at Jesus being dead at 33, we're talking less than 40 years later, these people are scoffing at the idea, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? I'm like, hey, we're, we're in 2,000 plus now, and, and we're still like, where, where's he at? They were 40 years into this and already whining about it. Where's he at? When's he coming back? Doesn't look like he's going to do it. They were scoffing at that idea. And here we sit. We got to hear the same scoffers. When is Jesus coming back again? All these things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. People don't believe that God is going to break into history again like he's broken into history. And scoffers are still choosing to scoff at the fact that Jesus has not come back yet. It says in the text that scoffers deliberately forgot. They deliberately forgot. Like they put it on their schedule. We're not going to remember it anymore. We're choosing not to do that. They willfully forget. So I bring up the Bengals if I can about that one. There are some of you in this room who deliberately forgot years ago that the Bengals would ever win a Super Bowl. They're not worth our time. They're not worth our energy. They're not worth our efforts. We're not going to go watch a game. We're not turning it on anymore. We're getting rid of everything that's orange and black. And then Joe Burrows appears. 
and those who deliberately forgot all are all of a sudden buying orange and black again, waving a flag in the front of their car, stopping all of life and coming to church in their orange and black. What has happened? I thought you deliberately forgot that they were ever going to win. Oh, but now we have a chance. You understand this is how we're supposed to be living to the scoffers? Man, if, if, if you're really a Bengals fan, then every year's the possibility, right? And you're not forgetting what happened last season. Like, you almost won. You could have won. You can't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. What's your problem? I forget you. That's what our world has done with the coming of Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me. Deliberately forgot. They forget that God's not going to break through history. So Peter gives us two examples, two great examples in regards to what they forget. What they deliberately forgot. One of them that they deliberately forgot is in verse 5. They forgot that creation actually happened. They forgot that creation was a thing, that God broke into history and he actually did it. Verse 5 says, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed by water and by water. So when God created the world, nothing was here beforehand. Nothing pre-existed in existence. And from the creation of the world, God created the entire cosmos out of nothing, ex nihilo. And you start believing that there's no creation, you start on a path of scoffing, straight up. When you find yourself not believing that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, you're on your way to scoffing his fact that he's going to come back again. And so I, I give you a couple of cannots that I would have about this whole deal about scoffing that you've got to make sure are clear in your spirit. Three, you, you cannot moments, okay? So here's my three, you cannot. You cannot have a creation without a creator, you cannot have an effect without a cause. And thirdly, you cannot have a beginning without a beginner. And before you let someone think, and, and I speak to just high school graduates for a moment here. Hip, hip, hooray, congratulations on what you did. But I want you to know you're going to meet up with someone smarter than me. That's for sure. Believe me, I've got one of them working on a doctorate right now. Okay? He's way smarter than me. He knows way more than I do. He can talk about stuff that I have no knowledge of. But if I go to that professor, when I get away from my home and my family, what I know I've been taught, and that professor stands in front of me who's way smarter than everybody else I've ever been around and says there's no creation, God didn't have anything to do with it, you begin to go, yeah, that makes sense to me. And I'm telling you, when you begin to walk that path, you're beginning to walk down a scoffing path. Here's the other part for me that I would share, the, the two things. One, they forgot creation, but they also forgot the destruction that was happening. Peter gives a second example in verse 6. They forgot about the flood. God intervened in history in a big way. In the, in the beginning of creation, he intervened again when he flooded it all. He made it all go away. Worldwide flood. Now, we could look back at all of the ancient history pieces from many, many continents around the world, and all of them have some sort of history about this boat with a bunch of animals in it floating to safety. The ancient Chinese, ancient Indians, they, they all have a story about it. Interestingly enough, their stories don't look like our stories. In fact, all the animals look afraid. We go to our nursery and we got the big-eyed, you know, woohoo, giraffe and all that. Like, oh, they're so cute. I don't think they were looking cute when the water was rising when they're trying to team them up to get inside the boat. I think it's a fear. It's a panic. God was intervening. And, the, and it's really, really interesting to me that, that Peter brings this example back up again. This is now his third time looking at Noah. He's already done it in his first letter. He did it in his second letter we talked about last week. He brings it up again. Do you remind yourself the fact that there was a flood on this earth and that God destroyed it one time? That he actually intervened? 
And then he goes on to say in verse 7 that there's going to be another dramatic moment in history when it says in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. Oh no, you're right. Here goes Brian. He's going to get fire and brimstone on you. No, I don't have to get fire and brimstone on you. The truth is the world's going to be destroyed by fire. That's the choice. That's the decision. God's going to intervene one more time. And you can scoff out all of those things all day long, but I want you to know that judgment's going to come. I don't like saying that, but it's the truth. Uh, Scoffers are going to deny it, but it's coming. So let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the coming of judgment? And then we have this third thing we want to look at, and it's in the last verses, 18 through 13, which is the best part, because I want you to look ahead to a Savior. I want you to look ahead to a Savior. Verse 8 kind of says it this way, the Lord is not like you. I'm really kind of glad about that, that the Lord is not like you and me. Because in 2 Peter, it explains it's taken so, why has it taken so long? Well, here's what he says in verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. God created time. His time is not the same as our time. And we look in history in terms of years and decades and centuries, but to God, it's always present. The eternity of God, I don't know that I could explain to anybody because we don't understand eternity. We know everything from beginning to end. We have a dash between our birthday and our death date. Everything is a start and a finish. We want to put it on a calendar. When did it start? When did it quit? We don't have that with God. We have eternity. And our lives are so short and so temporary. And we hate waiting for anything. Forty years after, after he's ascending, they're still wondering, ah, oh, yeah, like he's really going to come back. They're scoffing at that idea. But Peter's referring to Psalm chapter 90, verse 4 in this text, in verse 8, when he, when he says, a thousand years is in your sight like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2 says it this way, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Don't overlook that. Don't let that escape you. Don't let that miss by you. It seems like we've been forever since Jesus went to heaven, doesn't it? But that's only because we're so patient. And we're like the kids on the long car ride waiting to get through Georgia. Are we there yet? When are we getting out of this huge state? When is Florida coming? Then we get to Florida and it's like another four hours to grandparents. Really? Yeah, but it's not as near as big as Georgia. That's the way we compare it to, right? Four hours nothing compared to, we can do Atlanta, no problem. We spend four hours there. Go. And we make it happen. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and come again and receive you to myself, there I am and there you may be also. It seems like such a long time for that time to happen. And why hasn't Jesus come? Because God doesn't see time the way you see time. He's not like you and me. Then in verse 9, we find that the Lord is patient toward you for salvation. The Lord is patient toward you for salvation. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to draw the Lord's Supper to your presence here. Uh, we here at the church take communion together and remember what Christ Jesus has done for us together. And as I'm talking about this point, the Lord is patient toward you for salvation. Aren't you glad that he waited for you to get through with the stuff you wanted to get through with before, you know, before he comes back? That you got to meet up with him? That's what this moment is. You're meeting up with the Lord Jesus knowing that he waited long enough for you to get it, for you to know that he died for you in your place. And we are waiting for what God's waiting for and that how long is it going to be? We start to get indifferent and apathetic because you feel like God is so slow 
But God is really patient. He's waited on you. The false teachers were evidently reasoning that if Jesus was slow in his return, maybe he wasn't returning at all. And if he's not returning in judgment, why be so careful about how we live? This is how the atheist lives. Who cares what we do? He's not coming back anyway. And verse 9 is very clear. There's this word called but right in the middle, a clause that puts everything together. While they failed to see what the delay was in Jesus, it was actually the mercy of God. It was the mercy of God. It says, but everyone, he wants everyone to come to meet up who he is. And he's patient in that regard. And God is still providing chance after chance after chance. And it's the good news of his mercy. He's not finished winning people to Christ. So one verse before we close and we have a prayer here. He gives everybody a chance to repent and to be saved says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. What you hold in your hand is the fact that you know you have been. You know that you have been. And he hasn't returned yet because there's still more people that need to be saved. They need, still need to speak that out. But until he comes back, we're supposed to remind ourselves of what he did for us. That it's precious what he did in giving up his own life for ours. Taking on sin upon himself and become the propitiation for all of us. We don't get judgment. We're made righteous because of what Jesus has done. And that's good news because you have been saved. Would you thank him for the saving moment that you have in your life as you hold the cup? And now, Lord Jesus, I come thanking you for the fact that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That once and for all you came and died for my sin and the sin of all of us who are here. We thank you for coming and dying in our place to give us life everlasting, to make us righteous when we really deserve death. So we thank you for saving us, waiting long enough to come back to make sure that we were some of the people that you were going to be saving. So thank you for that redemption. Thank you for rescuing us, for resurrecting us and making us new at this moment. We thank you again for the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, church family, would you take this bread, remembering the body of our Savior who was nailed to it in your place. And would you take the cup, drink it, remembering again the blood that was shed on behalf of you so that you would have life. I want you to know that the Lord is not slow because of repentance. He's not slow with repentance. Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, those of you that are walking this big line on the last days, you want to tell me about Ezekiel, I'm going to give you Ezekiel. But it's about repentance. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 27 to 32, reads like this. A great text where Ezekiel's reminding us all that we need to change. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life. Because he considers all the offenses he's committed and turns away from them. And he will surely live. He will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust? O house of Israel, is not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, and then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you've committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. 
Repent and live. Repent and live. Change and live. And Peter's wanting us to know that we have this chance. There's no misunderstanding of timing here. I still have time to change my life. So change directions and live. Verse 10 talks about this with the Lord, that the Lord is going to surprise you. (laughs) Peter wrote in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now let's suppose when you get home this afternoon from worship today, there's a note taped on the front of your door. And you open the note and it reads this. This coming Tuesday at 11.30 p.m., I'm going to come to your home and steal from you. Well, first you think it's a joke. Some friend is playing on you. And, but I think on Tuesday evening, you probably have a little different feel for it. Making doubly sure that your home is properly locked. You might even offer to watch uh, your neighbor's pit bull for the night in your own house. You'll probably make sure that your handgun is loaded and ready to use at your bedside. Because that's not how thieves work. They don't tell you in advance when they're going to come. They try to break into your home when you least expect them to do so. And Peter said that the coming day of judgment is going to surprise you. It's going to happen when you least expect it. And therefore, we must always be ready for the coming day. Friends, it it will come as a surprise to many. And I just don't want it to be a surprise to you. And then I would see in verse 11 about the Lord. The Lord is looking for holy and godly you. He wants a holy and godly you. Well, what sort of people ought we ought to be? He asks the question. Should, should we be careless and selfish and just blending in with the world around you? No. You should be living and loving examples of heavenly, of heavenly Lord. We need to live lives of holiness. What does that mean? We need to be a set apart from our sin. And we need to live godly lives or godlessness, live, godliness and living out godlike behavior, love, forgiveness, kindness, sharing the gospel with other people. Remember what it said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We read this several weeks ago, but let me remind you, it says this, His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly, godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. You have all of the skills that you need to have to get going with this. It's not like you need to hear 10 more sermons or attend five more Sunday school classes. I need to be six more Bible study groups. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Just do it. And in Christ, you have everything you need. Maybe your life and your testimony will be used by God to bring someone else to repentance. Someone else needs to be saved from God's judgment because you lived out this changed life in yourself. And then I would see in verse 12 this about the Lord. The Lord is looking for you to speed his coming. It actually says that you can speed up his coming. You want to make it come faster? Here's some ways to do it. Peter is saying, speed up his coming. Some versions say to hasten it. How is that possible? Well, the word originally means earnestly desire it. Earnestly desire that he's going to come back again. And so you're always pushing for it. So one way you may speed it up is just by pushing about it in the same way that you, you might tell a child, so earnestly desiring Christmas morning, to arrive that they almost are wishing away the rest of the month. You know what I mean? Like, I can't wait until December 25th. I just want it to come. That's the way we're supposed to live. I'm telling you, it's not one sermon. It's a lifestyle that we're going to have. We cannot, at the end of this day, not be earnestly looking for it. We can't wait until the next sermon for Easter or the next conversation about heaven for us to go, yeah! No, we live that life that way, anticipating what's going to happen eagerly anticipating what's going on. Another way that you can speed his coming is sharing your faith with somebody else. Why? Because Jesus made it clear. When everybody hears and knows about who I am, I'm coming back. Guess what? We have some charge over that. 
So we want as many people to know as fast as we can know because we want him to come back quickly. Why do we talk so much about world missions around here? Because we want to see the whole world here so that he'll come back. We want him to return. Another third way that I would say that you could speed his, his, his coming is that you could pray for his coming. You can ask him to say, oh Lord, would you quickly come? I'm so tired of this world. Would you make it happen quickly? And at the end of the prayer, at 1 Corinthians 16, it says, Lord, come quickly. It's the word Maranatha. Would you come as fast as possible? Would you speak it out loud? Talk about how much you watch the news and go, it's going to get better because he's coming back. Live a life that talks that way. Why? Because it gives you more time to fight for your sin and it gives you more time to fight for other people's sin. The reality is he hasn't come back yet. That means there's still a chance for people to change, people to repent. And the Lord wants that to happen. I want you to know I have children. I don't have any grandchildren. I know some of you do. Some of them have gone away. They're not following after the Lord right now, and you want time for them to be able to, to get in. So you're not going, hey, come quickly. I still have three of them that don't know who you are, and they're living a life that's completely opposite of that. And I hear what you're saying, but the reality is we want to pray for him to come quickly. It's not until after everybody's graduated. There's always going to be somebody that we're caring about, but he's slow, and he's going to wait. And we have this last thing. Verse 13 is actually 12 and 13. He says this word, the Lord wants you to look forward. He wants you to look ahead. And as our team comes and finishes up our time here today, I just want to say this to you. King Jesus is coming. What sort of people ought we to be? I believe we have to be forward-thinking people. Forward-thinking people. That means everything that we do is forward. So we have forward-living. We have forward-loving. We have forward-forgiving. We have forward-repenting. This is it. I'm going to repent before I get a chance to repent. I'm thinking about repentance because I know I'm going to have to. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm forwardly thinking about it. I'm forwardly listening to people. I'm forward serving people. I'm forward giving people. I'm forward praying people. I'm forward redeeming people. Why? Because we're supposed to look ahead. We want to move away from this world. I want to get out of Georgia. Is anybody else with me on that? I want to get out of Georgia. I want to go on to living and having the time I'm supposed to have, whether it be in my home or my family's home. I want to get there as quickly as possible. And so I don't want it to slow down. Like, slow down in Georgia. It's okay. Take your time. God. No, I want you to come back. I want out of the state. And I want to be with the people I want to be with. I just want you to know, Peter's describing in his last letter, in his last moments, of what he wants us to know. Oh, he's told us about false teachers and what we've got to be aware of. He just wants us to keep talking about his coming and when he's going to come back and that all the prayer lists that we have that's so, oh, I'm just so weighed down by all the prayers that I have to pray for, that God's going to come back and we're not going to have to deal with this anymore. That's such a sweet little moment. And I know we like to kind of say that as a refrain in our lives, but when's the last time we just like lived it out with a smile on our face? I know he's coming back. Whatever tragedy I see, whatever thing's going on in front of me, I know he's coming back. You ever heard this phrase? Maybe you've said it before. Hurry up and wait. <laughs> we hurry up and wait. Just so you're clear, that's what life is about. As a believer in Christ, we hurry up and wait. We want to get this message to as many people as fast as possible, and then we're going to wait till he comes to make it happen. So we're going to hurry up and we're going to wait. Why? Because God is slow at his promises. He's now going to keep his promises to us. He's going to let us know when it's time. Our timing is not his timing. So hurry up and wait. 
So I tell you one more time at the end of his swan song and at the end of this message today, I want to hurry up and wait. I don't want you to be without him. I don't want you to be there without him. I want you to know who he is, the Savior and Lord. I want your life to be redeemed. I want it to be new. I want you to look forward to a new heaven and a new earth and a new body. Praise the Lord. Who doesn't want a new body in the room here today? Man, I want a new body, a new place, a new, a new song in my heart, a new way to be able to, to verse it out. And how do we go about living this tragic world of negative behavior, life is going on? He's coming back. He's coming back. And we've got to live that way, anticipating that. So we'll hurry up and we'll wait. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. And I'll call you to this moment of change and challenge. Lord, we're asking for a moment, in this moment, that we wait one more time. That we wait and we'll wait again and we'll wait again and we'll wait again. We'll be frustrated with it like the people 30 years after you ascended. Because we just want you to come and take us home. We're tired of being in the state. And we want to get out of it. We want it to be in our rearview mirror and past us. But until then, God, we're going to continue to be faithful. We're going to go forward. We're going to move ahead. We're going to think forward knowing that Florida is coming, that we know heaven is coming. Thank you so much for giving that promise to us. And not be slow on how you're going to dish it out to us. We know that you'll come through. And God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that today they would confess you, that today they would turn from where they're at, and that they would meet you as Savior and Lord, that they would have a moment where they say, I want my sins washed away. I want to have me cleansed from this moment, and I want to walk on a journey with you. So God, we'll wait, and we'll wait, and we'll wait until we hear those trumpets blow. And we'll be faithful. And you'll count on us to know that we'll be calling for you to come home. Thank you for this moment of invitation now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com.